shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's message is based on Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32, and Psalm 139, 1 to 6, and 24 to 23 to 24. I won't be reading this passage um, as we normally do, because I'll be reading them as we go along. I'd like to begin by looking at Psalm 139, because it tells us of a kind of prayer that most modern Christians are not used to. We tend to think of prayer as having a wonderful, sweet, quiet time with the Lord. No doubt, there are moments in our lives when we experience God in such a manner. But prayer is not always a pleasant encounter. We lay the table and invite God to come, so to speak, and have morning coffee with us, hoping that in the course of our conversation, we could put in an appropriate request. And God comes and sweeps everything away. He has his own agenda. He comes to engage us, to challenge us, and maybe to baffle us. This is what we see in Psalm 139. It begins with, and I read the first six verses, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. If you read this psalm carefully, you will discover that there is a hint of deep struggle in the psalmist's prayer. Before God's penetrating eyes, the psalmist feels terribly exposed. He has nowhere to hide. There is no place anywhere which he can call my own private space. Verse 3 in the NIV sounds rather benign when it translates the verse as, You discern my going out and my lying down. One recent translator, the altar's translation, puts it this way. My path and my lair, you winnow. A lair, as you know, is a place where an animal lies down comfortably, perhaps over a pile of hay. Then God comes with a winnowing fork, plunging it into the hay left and right, missing our head by an inch, sifting through every straw and turning a comfortable bed into a pretty mess. That's the picture. No wonder the psalmist feels hemmed in by God. As he says in verse 5, You hemmed me in behind them before, and you lay your hand upon me. In such a situation, 
he has learned to be thoroughly honest before God. This is why he prays at the end of this, passage, uh, of this psalm, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Underlying what appears to be calm resignation, we sense a deep internal struggle. Lord, you know me through and through, and I might as well be honest. I'm full of anxious thoughts. I'm not entirely comfortable in your holy presence. This prayer of the psalmist could well have been the prayer of another man who lived earlier. That man was Jacob. Jacob had earlier met God in circumstances quite similar to that of the psalmist. He woke up from his dream with a shiver. In Genesis 28:17, we read, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This was the beginning of Jacob's struggle with God. In the story of Genesis 32, Jacob is about to encounter an even greater struggle. In order to understand the story of Jacob's wrestling with the angel, first we need to fill the background leading up to Genesis 32. Now, if you have been away from home for a long time, I'm sure you look forward to homecoming. This is why many songwriters, when describing the joy of conversion or the joy of going to heaven, would use the imagery of homecoming. The well-known 19th century gospel song, maybe young people may not know it, Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home, right? Or, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. But for Jacob, homecoming wasn't something he was looking forward to. He vividly remembered that fateful day 20 years earlier when he fled from the wrath of his brother Esau. Now he was going back to face him. What if his brother had not forgiven him? What if Esau were to exact his sweet revenge? Jacob was afraid. Perhaps during that journey home, he had time to reflect on his past. All his life, Jacob had known only one thing. How to get ahead of his competitors by using devious means to outsmart them. First, it was his brother Esau, with whom he successfully bargained for his birthright. The birthright, by the way, was the right of inheritance. Just think, a bowl of soup for Esau's inheritance. What a bargain. Then he deceived his father into blessing him instead of Esau. 
but in the land of his forefathers, for the first time, Jacob met his match. He was outwitted by his father-in-law Laban. This time, he got as good as he gave. He worked seven long years for his beautiful Rachel, only to receive for his bright price the ugly Leah. But this scheming man was not to be outdone. In the end, he had the better of his father-in-law. Again, through a lot of scheming, he ended up with all the stronger animals while his father-in-law got all the weaker animals. Jacob was a schemer through and through, and he always emerged a winner. As Jacob's mind ran through these events, he developed a new resolve. He might try to buy his way back to Esau's good books. You can see here that bribery is not a modern phenomenon. He prepared his peace offering to Esau. But just in case, he decided that it would be better or safer to divide up his possessions into two lots so that if one was lost, the other could escape. You see the old schemer still at work. But an encounter with God on the final night of his journey changed everything. That night, an angel met him, and Jacob wrestled with the angel. If we understand prayer as a divine human encounter, the story of Jacob's wrestling with the angel provides us with some important lessons on prayer. Prayer can be an unnerving encounter, as we noted earlier in Psalm 139. In fact, if our prayer life is too smooth or too predictable, I'm not sure if we have actually encountered God as we have thought. Jacob's struggle with the angel teaches us three very important truths about prayer. The first is that God meets us in a moment of desperation. If you look at verses 22 to 24, we read, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with a man. Notice that the encounter with God came when Jacob was left alone. Often it is when we are in solitude that we come to face squarely ourselves, just like the psalmist in Psalm 139. It is in that state of honest self-searching that God meets us. Perhaps it was Jacob's desperation that caused him to cling on to the angel. Jacob was persistent because he had no one else to turn to. Sometimes, 
we don't take God seriously until we are at the end of our rope. Perhaps I'd like to insert here a point for us to ponder. And that's the need for silence. We don't remember God because we are too busy. Busyness and noise are perfect hiding places from God's presence. This is why it is important for all Christians to maintain times of solitude and silence if they are to meet God. But in our modern world, it is extremely difficult to cultivate silence. Even churches today tend to be too noisy. From the beginning to the end of the service, the music never stops except during the sermon and after the service. Of course, God can meet us in all kinds of situations, noise or no noise. But that is so only when we have trained ourselves first to listen in silence. I suspect that the biggest problem in our prayer life is that sometimes we prefer the busyness and noise because we are afraid to meet the awesome God. Like Jacob and the psalmist, encountering God is not always pleasant. The poet T.S. Eliot has said, well, human beings cannot bear too much reality. Facing the one who is holy can be very unnerving. Like the psalmist, we may feel hemmed in with nowhere to hide. That is part of our struggle in prayer. But we need to be persevering in prayer even in those unpleasant moments. Sometimes what we feel like our worst prayers may really be our best because we have come to terms with our own true self. We learn to be honest before God. Only then can God deal with us as we really are. And this leads me to my second lesson. God answers unexpectedly. If you look at verse 26 to 30, then the man Jacob said, or rather the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Benial, saying, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob struggled all night. It was only at daybreak that the angel spoke to him. And pray sometimes like that. We may have to struggle through the dark night of silence before we hear God's voice. The angel decided to break off the engagement 
But Jacob was persistent. I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was like the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, which incidentally is the gospel lesson in today's lectionary. What was God's answer to Jacob? God's answer comes unexpectedly. First, God answers Jacob with a question. What is your name? Then Jacob told the angel his name. Jacob, he said. Yes, Jacob, the cheat, the deceiver. Jacob's divulging his name was also a confession. Yes, I'm a cheat. I've been a cheat all my life. I've cheated my brother. I've cheated my father-in-law. But now I can't cheat anymore. I really have nowhere to go. Jacob had to come to terms with himself. He had to confess who he really was. Only then does God change his name to Israel, Prince with God. The change of name represents a change of character. After his struggle with God, he would never be the same again. Sometimes we may have to plod along like Jacob, face our fears, above all, face ourselves squarely and honestly before God. That's part of the struggle of prayer. If we think that prayer is all joy, we are only deceiving ourselves. Second, when Jacob wanted to know the angel's name, Jacob's plea was rebuffed. Tell me your name, please, he said. You see, in ancient times, to know someone's name is to have control over that person. If I know his name, I would have some special leverage. But Jacob's request was swept aside. Instead, thirdly, God answers with a blessing. We are not told what the blessing was. Perhaps it was some kind of divine pronouncement or promise, much like the blessing that his father Isaac pronounced on him many years earlier. Or perhaps the real blessing was what Jacob saw in himself. The cheat who should have been stricken dead before a holy God, had seen God face to face and lived to tell it. God always answers, but his answer may not be what we expect. In the case of Jacob, God's blessing includes a painful reminder. And this brings me to my third lesson. There is a price to be paid. Verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Benile, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The angel said to Jacob, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. In all his previous dealings with men, Jacob had worn out. Now he had wrestled with the angel of God 
to a draw. Yes, Jacob won out, but it was not a clear-cut win. The triumph came with a heavy price. Jacob came away with a permanent limp, a painful, dislocated hip bone became a constant reminder of his final struggle with God. We can say Jacob got his PhD, permanent hip damage. Physically, he was weakened, but spiritually, he became a different person, a changed man. Here is another point for us to ponder. God's answer to prayer may not meet our expectation. Very often we think that God's blessing and answer to prayer must always meet our expectations. Human beings naturally want to avoid pain and enjoy good health and good wealth. So, we think that God's blessing must always be in the form of the absence of pain and the enjoyment of life but he may be giving us something quite unexpected. His mercy is sometimes a severe mercy. We may not realize it, but our pain may be a blessing both to ourselves and to others. I have a friend who has to struggle with depression all his life, but because of it, his ministry is marked by a deep compassion for other people. He has become, in Henry Nouwen's terms, a wounded healer. Jesus himself teaches us this idea, uh, principle. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Without death to self, there is no life for others. Paul pictures his own life as an earthen vessel containing the treasure of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4.7. The gospel treasure comes to others more powerfully because it is poured out of humble earthen vessels. A triumphalistic understanding of ministry often, often ends up superficial and farcical. It has no real answer to human tragedies. Prayer is encountering God, or more accurately, God confronting us. The encounter may sometimes take us through deep struggles. We struggle because we are not quite ready to face God, the ultimate reality, the Holy One. Yet often at the end of our struggle, we come through with a sense of, of calm and composure, a different person. A prayer of Soren Kierkegaard captures such a moment in the believer's life. This is his prayer. Father in heaven, when the thought of thee wakes in our hearts, let it not awaken like a frightened bird that flies about in dismay, but like a child waking from its sleep with a heavenly smile. It is in such moments of deep struggle that our life is transformed from that of a frightened bird to that of a child awaking from sleep 
with a heavenly smile upon its face. We often hear it said that prayer changes things. But before it changes things, it changes us first. If our lives are not changed, then we have not prayed through. Let us, like Jacob, continue to persevere in prayer, even when it feels lifeless. The dawn will come. When it comes, we will no longer be the same person. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, grant us the grace to persevere even when prayer is a struggle, knowing that you will bring us through the silent darkness to the dawn of a new day. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.